0: TLA plus is a high level language for modeling programs and systems, especially concurrent and distributed ones. And it's basically formal modeling for correctness for the design of your concurrent and distributed algorithm.
1: There does seem to be a mental barrier where people are like, uh, yeah, that all sounds fine, but I'm just writing a cred app. I'm just going to throw up some rest endpoints. These formal methods and fancy tools, those are for people who are building hardcore stuff, right? But, but I think it's, I think it's a false dichotomy actually, because eventually every crud app ends up somehow having all kinds of uh, stuff built in i mean i'm thinking like, like sending email <laughs> well yeah exactly so that's the, that's the classic <laughs> okay. one right
0: hi this is will and this is Shree. welcome to the technium where we talk about the edge of technology and what we can build with it an optimistic look at the road ahead how's it going Shree?
1: <laughs> pretty good pretty good i have yeah, yeah, I've I've been sort of had a, a busy last couple of weeks, but I'm uh, glad to be back recording. I'm pretty excited for our topic this week, actually. Yeah. Yeah, new
0: background, new 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 background, new trees. Oh. So <laughs> uh, hopefully, you also got a new drink going on there.
1: Yes, I do. I have this new. It's a little hard to see. Oli oh. Pop. It is a probiotic sparkling tonic. It's an orange squeeze flavor, huh? though probiotic, anything. I haven't seen probiotic milk
0: yet. That seems like it should be a people's alley. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I forgot to. I was at H Mart today and I forgot to get myself a drink. But uh, I do have some Planet Oat Milk. More oat milk nice. this time, and it's an excellent source of calcium and vitamins A and D.
1: So hopefully it's, nice. it's,
0: it's much better than, yeah. Remember you had some like mushroom drink and I nearly gagged when you said.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think these, these uh, set of drinks are much more palatable. <laughs> right. And also I noticed that like you don't take nearly as many
0: sips during that particular episode as you do some of the other ones. <laughs> so yeah,
1: yeah.
0: yeah all's fair. So do you know what we're talking about this week?
1: No. What are we talking about this week?
0: surprise so we are going to be talking about tla plus so uh, tla plus is a high level language for modeling programs and systems especially concurrent and distributed ones and it's basically formal modeling for correctness for the design of your concurrent and distributed algorithm and so Sometimes phrasing it this way may be scary to programmers because as a whole, we're a little, little bit allergic to math. And so said another way, it's basically fuzz testing for all the different p- combinations of the different elements in your protocol to find errors or undefined situations. Do you know much about it or have you heard about TLA Plus before?
1: I've heard a little bit about it on this on this web forum called Lobsters where I think people are a big fan of formal methods, but it, it honestly looked a lot like... A bunch of advanced math and magic and uh, i haven't looked into it until uh, researching this podcast right right yeah it's it's something that has been around since 1999
0: and so in a sense when we talk about edge of technology sometimes we reach way back but this is not a retro episode despite the technology being that old because people are still using it today for uh, things that you use every day and so because it hasn't gotten the wide level adoption and uh, because of its apparent real usefulness. I guess that's why we're trying to highlight the edge of technology. I think it counts Yeah. on
1: this podcast. Interesting, so it is a tool that helps verify the correctness of programs or the systems that we are thinking of writing as programs. Yeah,
0: exactly, and so for a long time, I think the way that we wrote programs was that we would just kind of try things out and we were kind of program as we were thinking because since the waterfall method didn't really work as a methodology for teams, we kind of s- switched over to the way the other side where we s- sketch things out in code and somebody else, I, I saw this on Casey Moratori's podcast on Hamney Hero once where he was talking about architectural design and the... Pointed out, he pointed out the fact that architecture is a little bit of a misnomer for programmers. It's actually more like urban planning. Mm. We don't really draw blueprints as an architect because if you're able to specify all the different details of your program to the point where it's a blueprint and somebody else can kind of follow it, you've effectively just has, have code itself, right? Yeah. And so, but TLA plus I think is the only exception to that uh, rule. It's not really a rule, I guess. It's it's a fact of life for working programmers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where TLA plus is the one place I've seen where you actually write out the specification of your algorithm with its constraints and specifications. And then TLA plus is able to formally verify that it is correct in all different situations. So typically we hadn't done the sort of formal verification for our programs because we had mostly single computers with a single thread with no shared mutable state. And with that, you could reason about your programs to the point where they would work. It, it will, when you write the program, it's it's has a reasonable performance. But we found that over the last decade or two, that as we've gotten the internet, multi-threaded, multi-core computers, this turned out to be really, really hard when you have this sort of stuff. And we've invented all sorts of different language paradigms, different frameworks to try to tamp down that complexity. And we've still found it difficult for our distributed and concurrent systems. And so this is where in the last, I would say in the last decade or so, various different pockets of people have discovered TLA plus and said, Oh, this is really good because we're messing around with distributed systems all day, every day. And like using this has cut down on the number of bugs that we can catch in design so that they don't go to production. They don't even go to writing code. And so that's made it a hell of a lot easier to kind of find these really subtle bugs that occur with uh, concurrent and distributed programs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the complexity of things that people are are, are building today, people just stumble into complex distributed systems almost by default. And so I think that it becomes important now more than ever that we have a way to sort of get a handle on that complexity. And one thing that I thought, was really interesting when researching tla plus and formal verification methods generally is that when we think about how do we build distributed systems as programmers our tendency is to think about changing the the programming language that we use so you Mm -hmm. often hear of things like oh well erlang is really good at handling concurrency but when we're talking about Formal Methods and, and uh, TLA+, these are not actually programming languages. These are specification languages that specify the design of the system that you want to build, and then later the the programmer ends up translating that specification into computer code. And so it's one step removed from programming languages. And I thought it was interesting. That, so I think TLA+, was created by this... Uh, a person named Leslie Lamport and uh, he's a talk. Well, he's yes. he's actually quite famous in
0: the like distributed systems world. Very, like he's very he's understated. Name, right, right yes. understated. Yeah. He has stuff <laughs> named after him in computer science. So, yes. and he's still alive, right? So, so that speaks yes. to like, so it's not just this person for, for our listeners.
1: <laughs> yes, no, he's a, 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 a super, super influential figure. But yeah, so so Leslie Lamport was actually giving a talk at Stanford uh, in which he was introducing the idea of formal methods and he had a very very interesting way of breaking down or justifying the existence of these things. So when when you're programming, there's three steps according to him. One is deciding what the program should do, and then two, deciding how the program should do it, and then three is implementing those decisions in code. And only the last step, the third step actually involves writing code to be executed for computers. The first two steps, deciding the thing you want to build, and then two, deciding how that thing works is actually more of a design phase where that is meant for humans to reason about, well, we're going to try to build a web browser. We're going to try to build a database and here are the properties it should have, and here's how, you know, we define it to be successful or working. And so in those first two steps, that's where TLA plus comes in because it provides a a language and a formalism by which you can say here is the behavior of a, a system that I'm designing and then it provides tooling so that you can feed that specification into some kind of uh, uh, verifier and it will spit back out this design achieves those goals or it, it does not and here some failure cases.
0: Yeah, I, that's a really good point, the the summary that you gave after the, the rambling start that I had here. But I think that's a good point to emphasize that this is a high-level specification li- language. It's basically a blueprint for the protocol or the alg- concurrent algorithm, the algorithm that you want to build. And once you have that specification and verified it, then you re-implement it as something executable in your language. And it, to the point that we typically don't do the first two steps that he mentioned. It's, I think, partially because we don't have the tooling for it. And also, this isn't really applicable to problems in which you need to see it to really understand it. Because there are some types of, like, programming, especially, like, application program problems, in which, like, you don't actually know how this thing is going to work. Until you have something to play with, right? That then, like mm-hmm. stuff like TLA plus, will not help you. But I think the 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 tradition of doing so has swung too far, where we just do that for almost everything because it's not only there's is a the lack of tools of in the first two stages, but also we've overapplied it since like we figured out oh the waterfall method doesn't really work for a lot of programming. We have to just kind of shoot from our hip and see how this thing turns out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One quote that comes to mind that frames this whole problem really well is this uh, quote from the Introduction to the Structure and Interpretations of Computer Programs, one of the classic uh, computer science uh, Wizard books. book, right? The, the wizard, wizard book. book, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the quote is, programs must be written for people to read and only, incidentally, for machines to execute. And uh, so that's coming at, at it from the approach of your program is trying to achieve some behavior which should be understood by the humans who are writing it. So that's what people uh, mean by like really, really good, beautiful, well-written code. And only incidentally do you take that and you feed it to the computer and it should do the right thing. And I think that that is a very, very hard goal for the average programmer to achieve, to write programs that are so beautiful that their behavior is immediately understood and only incidentally it was for machines to execute. but I think that with, with TLA+ that's taking a different approach and saying, you know what? like write the code for machines, however, the machine like needs the code to be written, but write another specification, which is for people to read mm, and yeah. for a verifier to uh, verify
0: yeah that's a really good point because like we've typically conflated the the two steps and that's partially what i was trying to get at with the lack of tools in the first two stages because like the programming language have to serve a couple different masters with conflicting goals and so one is that it has to be executed right code is basically thought that can be executed by a machine and then the other thing is the code has to be read and understood by humans and that has a another set of affordances and oftentimes these Mm -hmm. two can clash clash with each other and so by splitting out TLA plus into something where people can reason about things and use a computer as a tool for reasoning but it's not the final executable code that that really kind of compartmentalizes Mm -hmm. the conflicting design goals not of just the tool but of like the phases of thinking and so I think that's well put
1: yeah, so so we've talked around this idea. We've we've justified why somebody might want to use this kind of tool, but you know, w- what are some of the the details that are important to know in terms of like what does this this language look like? What do these tools look like? How do you use them?
0: Yeah, and so when people talk about TLA Plus, it's they're often talking about something called Plus Calc, uh, Plus Cal, excuse me, and Plus Cal. Is something that is a little bit more familiar to everyday working programmers it looks like a programming language in which you can specify variables and loops and you know basically write out the algorithm algorithm as you conceive of it and then what you can do in the tool chain for tla plus is you transpile plus cal into tla plus and tla plus on its own looks like formal logic, or it it looks like logic programming, effectively, where you specify a declaration of all the different types of events, the states and the constraints on those events and states. And then when you run that TLA plus specification onto a, a running model, then it could basically fuzz test all the different combination of your algorithm and protocol and try to find instances in which the constraints were violated. And so, for example, in uh, concurrent and uh, distributed algorithms such as Paxos and Raft, those are algorithms in which you try to get consensus between a whole bunch of nodes that are on a network. And I've never actually studied it, but I've heard that Paxos is quite complicated. And for a long time, people have actually had wrong implementations running in production. And you don't notice because a lot of times these... Concurrent and distributed algorithms have bugs that are really subtle. The bugs arise from a low probability sequence of 30 some odd events that have to have happen in that particular sequence in order for it to occur. And so that's one of the reasons why debugging these things is so hard because it's unless you've captured those that sequence, then it's really hard to reproduce. And so TLA Plus lets you is able to ferret out these. Weird circumstances that you wouldn't have found otherwise, other than just sit around for a long time. But the thing is, you can't just let them go either, right? Because as we build these systems to be bigger and bigger, like as Google can well tell you, when you have low probability events on a large number of machines with so many uh, people using it, they're going to happen more often than you think that they normally would. And yep. they become like these weird ghost Eisenbugs that are really hard to produce. And so that's why TLA plus as a design tool is really helpful in capturing these things at the design phase where they're less expensive and you can be sure that uh, you kind of got it right because it's a formal specification and you don't, you don't have to wait until it's in production. You have to trace this stuff and record like, and sift through tons and tons of data for it.
1: Yeah. When I was watching some of the talks about TLA plus, it it actually seemed a little bit familiar because if you are doing test driven development, let's say, yeah, a, a lot of the time what you do is that you start out writing a test suite, and in that test suite, you tend to think about covering all the different edge cases and all the combinations of states that you could feed into your uh, into your program. And let's in be honest, to...
0: nobody does all of them either. We just pick kind yeah. of a couple happy states and then a couple of bad ones and then call it good because, like, those are the ones that we could happen to think of. And if we run yep. across other ones, maybe we'll add it in. But yeah, right. So yeah, exactly. that's what it's, you're it's talking like, about, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, re- it's very, very insufficient, but like, that's sort of what we're trying to do. And actually, that's the optimistic case of people doing test-driven development where they write the test suite first. Yeah. More often than not, what happens is you write the implementation first and then you think of all the tests afterwards, which obviously biases your... Because once you know the implementation, it biases the set of of tests that you you think of. But at any rate, it seems like TLA Plus is similar to that in, in that you don't actually write all the, the test cases. What you do instead is to specify at a high level here are the set of states that let's say one of the processes or, or one set of entities in the system can take on here's a set of another states and another set of entities that in the system can take on you specify how these two things interact in the process model and then you like you said you you feed it into the the checker and it basically does something like fuzzing where it, it actually just explodes all those states and all the possible paths and interactions that they can have and exhaustively checks them and, and says, okay, you have, you know, you've covered all of the all of the states that your program can fall into, or you didn't specify, like your program can fall into this state for which you have not defined any behavior, or you can actually add some assertions about the the state of the world that you want to be always true, some invariance. Yeah. And then the checker will also say, like for all the states and all the paths through your program, do those invariants hold, or are there any failure cases where you break those invariants? And it'll actually present to you the sequence of of states that break that invariant. And and what was really interesting is that in a lot of real-world systems that people were using TLA plus for, they, they wrote up a specification which seemed reasonable and like, you know, seemed like it would work. And the checker actually found a bug which required a intricate dance of 17 steps, 30 steps in which you have like two concurrent processes, sending multiple commands simultaneously yeah. or whatever, it, before it would trigger the, the, the failure case. And so that's something that no unit test writer would ever think of doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I think it's best to think of TLA plus as just one more tool in your tool chest to help verify the correctness of your program, especially when it counts and especially when the bugs can be subtle outside of just unit tests and integration tests. And so I didn't really dig into the deep, deep guts of TLA Plus to be able to tell you and our audience exactly how it works. And I don't think you did either. But my understanding is that the main idea for TLA Plus for its users to get is that it models the entire system with one global state. And that's how it's able to find all the different combinations so like normally we don't do that programmers are familiar with like a finite state machine where we usually model like a component or like some aspect of our software with a finite number of states but tla plus it uses a state machine that is not finite it could have infinite number of states and not only that it models the entire system with it as a state machine so then given the types of states and the different events and messages that could go on between the different nodes, like it it's able to model that entire state and then based on what can happen, then it checks it against these constraints by taking into account all different kinds of combinations of 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 what could happen. People are using TLA plus in a lot of industrial uses and you can find this on TLA plus is website pretty easily, which we'll link to in the show notes, but presumably, They put it there because you need testimonials from people to convince programmers that formal methods have a place in your tool chest. And what better way than to get the big companies of the day to say, Hey, we use this and if we're successful and we use this, then maybe you can too. So, but to be fair, uh, one of the companies that use it is Amazon for their Amazon Web Services, AWS, and they famously wrote a paper about it, and they iterated and reiterated that for them, TLA Plus was used to find bugs in the system designs that could not be found through any other technique that they know of. And two, it's surprisingly feasible, and it gives a good return on investments, because especially with PlusCal, in which you can write in an imperative style programming language for this, like it didn't take a lot of study to be proficient at it and you get a return on investment pretty quickly. And so we'll link it in the show notes, but to read a quote, the only one I'll do this episode is that TLA plus is the most valuable thing I've learned in my professional career It has changed how I work by giving me an immensely powerful tool to find subtle flaws in system designs It's changed how I think by giving me a framework for constructing new kinds of mental models by revealing the precise relationship between correctness properties and system designs and by allowing me to move from plausible pros to precise statements much earlier in the software development process. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, pretty glowing review for TLA plus and you can find this sort of stuff for people that work on cloud computing sort of things from like Microsoft Azure to people working at Dropbox and so that that's pretty
1: uh, par for course. Have, have you seen other testimonials like this? I've seen testimonials also probably on the TLA plus website and, and and there there are actually a set of folks who are very vocal proponents of TLA plus specifically. And then these formal methods generally, I think some folks that I've seen writing about it on the internet are like Hillel Wayne and a few other names Mm -hmm. who are trying to promote this uh, use in, in industry. And I think like all of the, Those case studies that I hear are that such and such very big important system, they thought it was working, then they used TLA Plus and uh, discovered that there was actually a very important class of bugs, which nobody, like all the smart people who were working on this like never could have anticipated and, you know, it saved the company from embarrassment slash save them money, dollars (laughs) or money or or whatever. I I think what I'm curious about is working at a company that doesn't currently use these, how do I as the neighborhood programmer who has heard about this, how do I convince all the people in my management chain to use these things? And, and maybe, maybe the answer is show them amazing case studies at, at all these other fancy companies. Yeah,
0: I think that helps. And I think in one of the Amazon papers, they said that they tried to present it as what it was initially and called it like a formal verification and other programmers immediately shut that down. They're like, I don't want to do anything with math. But then when they called it like fuzz testing, they're like, Oh yeah, I know what that is. Like I'm all for trying like a a fuzzing tool or something like that. So it could be just the way that you present it that that'll get other engineers on board. But I, I think mainly if you're tasked with designing something like a concurrent or distributed system or a protocol between different computers, then you could take, you know, nights and weekends or a couple days to learn TLA plus. And according to the different testimonials, it didn't take too many people to get up and running with it. You know, compared to what Simon Peyton Jones, like one of the contributors to Haskell, what he says about people that discover other formal verification programs, like cock and Ada. like he says, you don't hear them. Uh, you don't hear from them for about a year or so before they come up for air and you know so so i I don't think it's anything like that and so the the bang for the buck seems to be pretty high for tla plus for these specific class of problems where you're dealing with concurrent and distributed systems
1: cool yeah
0: so with that why why do you think it hasn't really gotten that popular actually it's still not very popular (laughs) so so I, i have an idea in my mind, but why do you think, like, most programmers, we would say, have not really heard of TLA+.
1: It's a good question. I think that the idea of a separate design phase that is independent of the implementation phase is actually, I would say, still not widely acknowledged or practiced idea. I have for the past couple of years, been working at a, at a very large engineering driven company. And the one thing that I have learned is, is the idea of, of writing engineering design docs for any project before I embark on it. And so, but that, that practice seems almost unique to the company I work at and a few other peer companies that are large and engineering driven. But I think that if you go to most startups, small organizations that write code but are not necessarily engineering driven, I think that a lot of them tend not to have a very formal design phase to their software. So I would say just the idea that one should design software and have that design be vetted before jumping into the implementation is actually, I think, rarely done and And then that's even one step removed from you should encode your design in a computer verifiable language. that's like <laughs> yeah. even one step right, right
0: that that's it's two steps away from from most things. Yeah, yeah, I think I think to that most programmers today use code writing code to think. And like I said earlier in this episode that formal specifications work for a specific class of problems because if the thing that you're trying to discover is whether this, is something that users actually want to use, then that's not something that, you know, you, you want to use TLA plus for that, that, that doesn't make any sense. And so the only way to kind of figure that out is to bang something out and try it out yourself or like try it out on other people. And so, but I think we've taken that philosophy that I guess agile a little bit too far into everything where mm-hmm. it doesn't belong. And I think one place where it doesn't really belong is in designing concurrent and distributed algorithms. But I think for a lot of people, if you're not aware of the existence of TLA plus, and all you have are unit tests, integration tests, and like monitoring and production, then I guess that's what you're going to go with, right? So, um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah, I'm curious because I think you've you've uh, you know worked at a, a very different set of companies uh, than I have. Tend to be, I think, a little bit smaller and, and yeah. scrappier. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience with how rigorously are people thinking about their designs of their architecture before jumping into it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise, but maybe it's a surprise to people that are consumers of internet <laughs> products. It's basically not none at all. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you just kind of bang it out and hope that it works. And if users run across a bug, usually it's not catastrophic because we're not we're not making things that affect people's health or daily like. Uh, their, their lives. It's not like a life or death situation. So it basically gets handled in, in some order of prioritization. But I think where mm-hmm. these problems manifest themselves is that for the programmers, they find their systems get to be more and more complex, and they can't exactly put their finger on why and (laughs) and so the the thinking from management is always just throw more people at it but that exasperates the problem and so it gets to a point where it's just so hard to understand but it's working but you know and it takes effort to kind of untangle it that people just kind of live with it and we just have a lot of these sort of systems if they live right because like Mm -hmm. if the if the company fails then nobody cares because the whole thing dies like the way that we currently solve this problem is that we kill everything with fire like if the if the company runs out of money or whatever that would have all been effort wasted trying to untangle it right so yeah so we just kind of wait until it's relatively successful so it's always like a larger company programmers problem to deal with that sort of thing <laughs> for like some sort of future programmers. And so that, that's kind of the, the state of our industry right now. But I think also yeah. like, like the, I would say for TLA plus, we didn't really have a lot of concurrent pro programs or distributed systems such as like the web and stuff until the last 20 years. And so I don't think, and we didn't have cloud computing until, the since what, 2008? And so Mm -hmm. I think most, I also think most programmers don't have to deal with this stuff because we try to abstract it away from most programmers because like the way that a lot of programmers deal with concurrent rights is to use a database and we leave it for database programmers to figure out how to do this stuff, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and I think finally a lot of programmers are allergic to math, surprisingly. Um like mm. I think math also doesn't help its cause by calling uh different th- by, by using weird names like monads and
1: <laughs> Well to, to as, be as fair, example, to be right. fair, math came first. <laughs> <laughs> right. To be fair, math came first, right.
0: But I, I think the leap from academia to industry is still a pretty wide golf and it takes a certain specialized person to be able to straddle the two and we don't have a lot of those and so the that's part of the reason why the adoption is so slow so slowly mm-hmm. but surely it'll get there but it takes on the order of a couple decades i think
1: yeah yeah i mean there are a lot of thoughts that came up when you when you were describing that and one of the, <laughs> you the things rambling. <laughs> 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 yes yes so
0: so yeah i'm curious like what sort of uh, thoughts came up as a result of my rambling <laughs>
1: well well so when we were doing the small talk episode i was romanticizing slash lamenting the fact that we don't see a lot of grand visions and grand plans for the future of computing Mm. where people like lay out this beautiful roadmap the way that they did at 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 park with small talk and i think we went into this idealism versus pragmatism Mm -hmm. And the economics of, of building software, where I think you made a very, very similar statement, which is that, well, that's all well and good, but there's no point in doing it unless you know that what you're building is going to work. Right. So like the so we've we've gotten into this culture of build something, put it out there, validate it, and you know, ninety ninety nine percent of the time it's just going to fail anyway. So right. who cares? Like why verify And, and it? so
0: even applied to problems that shouldn't be done that way, we we applied <laughs> it across the board. Because if yeah. the future is unknowable which is not necessarily the case but if the future is unknowable the only w- way that we can figure out how to get to there is to shoot first and then aim later
1: yes yes shoot first and aim later i remember you using that phrase i think that's a really really <laughs> great way to to capture i think the way the way things are done yeah and so i think that it's interesting because i think when you think of the the class of programs that are written we do have this distinction or del- delineation between programs that matter or or are like hardcore foundational things like Mm -hmm. operating systems, database systems. Yeah distributed systems and then you have the so-called crud apps that the universe of things that people actually touch (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and there does seem to be a mental barrier where people are like uh yeah that all sounds fine but i'm just writing a crud app like i'm just gonna throw up some rest endpoints and it's gonna like do some random shit these formal methods and fancy tools those are for people who are building hardcore stuff right like i'm Mm. i'm not building that but but i think it's I think it's a false dichotomy, actually, because eventually every CRUD app ends up somehow having all kinds of of uh, stuff built in. I mean, I'm thinking like,
0: like sending email.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So that's the that's the classic <laughs> classic right. one, right? I forget what which law that is. But yeah, everything ends up sending email. Increasingly, since the the days of Uber <laughs> and Airbnb, every app built around that time ended up becoming a marketplace that where you have to settle payments right between yeah. between parties and then now we're in this world of web3 as well where payments are baked in and you are are dealing with even other different kinds of transactions and so i think people tend to underestimate if what they're building is is successful, they tend to underestimate the eventual complexity of what they will have to grapple with, right? Yeah, and, actually, and you it's, mentioned it's this cost- in I an mean.
0: earlier episode also, in which the it's like a, a sudden, how did you put it? Like a sudden state transition, or like the complexity just ramps up quicker than anybody expects when yeah. when you're not careful.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sneaks up on uh, on you. At some point, you end up building something that works, and then you're just sort of not not ready because you're still in the mode of like scrappiness.
0: Right. And so, so I guess I'm emphasizing this point over and over again, because it's, it's like, I, I think a lot of the programming paradigms and rule tools that we have come from an era in which we had a single computer with a single thread that wasn't connected to any other computer. And as we have uh, computers that are connected with shared mutable state like we've taken that tradition with us and we haven't really rethought how to deal with it without those old ways of programming computers and so we try to patch it up with all sorts of stuff to to make it work and i think the pattern that i'm seeing is that we're slowly figuring out that maybe this is not a good idea like we need (laughs) something new and so like a lot of working programmers don't have that foundational answer uh, ready on hand and we have to end up inventing it. But because the problem is subtle, we always invent things that are that kind of buckle or break once we kind of put a lot of stuff on it. And it's through massive effort of a whole bunch of people to get these things like standing and keep standing. I mean, how many people are employed at Twitter? Couple yeah, thousand, a couple thousand, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. and so sometimes we were like, "What?" Like, it's what just are all like people a, doing right. That's yeah, what, what I mean, are all, yeah, all those people do well, Right, right. <laughs> but it's these things are huge systems with a lot of complexity involved, and I, I don't. I think it's nothing as easy as a job that, like, nothing is as easy as a job that you don't have. I guess is, is the one way to put it, <laughs> and, yeah. and so, or a job that you don't understand. But yeah, I mean, like. I I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, we. I don't exactly fault programmers either. And so one, it's that a lot of times what you're trying to do initially is to solve a type of problem that TLA plus won't be able to help you with, right? And so Mm -hmm. we don't use form processes because that won't help us for those class of problems with like customer development, stuff like that. But then once that gets going, like because we didn't have those foundational concepts, or we didn't have the tools to figure that out for our particular use case. Like we didn't have TLA plus to figure out our specific concurrent and distributed problem. Like we just kind of made stuff up. And then once it's successful with a made up concept, like we try to put load on it and we're like, Oh shit, this doesn't work. Then we just throw a lot of people and a lot of effort (laughs) behind it. And, and so I think this is where people say math to the rescue, because if you could, Figure out all the different ways in which something does or doesn't work, then you know you you save a lot of time and effort
1: mm-hmm yeah so actually you've made this this point a few times, which is everybody is now secretly a distributed system yeah but i you know i w- i want to touch on that because I think that at least for me, if somebody says distributed systems, I think of like some cool people giving like cool mm. conference yeah, yeah, talks yeah. about how they scaled some crazy system to like billions of events per minute or whatever per second or whatever. And, you know, I look at what I'm doing and I'm just like, I may take this data here and I put it there, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not doing any distributed system. And but I think Nothing that you could know, be further sh- from
0: the truth because, like, that's <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you're moving
0: data around a network, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of the yeah. main things.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I, I was just thinking of, like, what are some some examples that people are familiar with that probably didn't seem like distributed systems to the people who were building them, but when they didn't work, they became, like, really annoying. And, and I think, like, a Google Chat or Google Hangouts had this problem for a long time of, like, which it was, it was somewhat non-deterministic where your notifications would be sent. Would they be sent mm. to your mobile app or would they be sent to yeah. your browser and like nobody could tell where the notifications would happen and there'd be all these like <laughs> confusion where like it it would get sent to the wrong place somehow because it would think that 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 session was active and mm-hmm. then you just wouldn't see all the messages and then you wouldn't respond to the person for hours and then you'd yeah, be like, oh sorry like
0: all... that that somewhere out on the internet there's like a, a flow chart of how slack decides where to send their notifications it's more complex yeah, than yeah. you would think that it would actually be
1: yeah yeah, yeah exactly You don't think of these as distributed systems, but you certainly have some state, whether that's like your notifications, the little bell icon, whatever it is that you are trying to, as as these services are trying to sync in some central way, but then make visible on all these different clients that are accessing them concurrently. And so this seems like a simple product-like feature, right? Like you could imagine (laughs) as a working programmer, you're tasked with implementing that. The PMs are like, well, "How long is this going to take you?" Like, maybe, yeah, maybe a yeah, couple of days, exactly. two
0: days, three days.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is exactly. And, and you don't the want to kind of say no,
0: and so you like, sure, two, two, three, three days, maybe. I'm going to multiply by two, so let's say four days, and so we'll we'll just bang it out, right? And so you figure yeah. out all the the normal use case, like the the happy pads, and then write a couple tests for some failure cases, but you don't notice like all the weird stuff. But that just gets pushed out to like some far time horizon smeared over the future where all these bugs happen. You have to keep going back and fixing it. Or maybe it's like some other engineer's problem because you already left the company.
1: Yeah, so so this is exactly the kind of thing that as a working programmer, you can imagine you write, maybe you write it, a good initial implementation and uh, then you get your your promotion for writing a great notification system and then you move on and then some other programmer comes in on the on the team and then decides to add a caching layer and they're like well now let's improve the performance of the notification system and they throw in a cache and then that's when all hell breaks loose and everything's in an inconsistent state or or uh, whatever. And so yeah, it's it's really really easy uh, to imagine that you get yourself into a mess. Sounds well, like and, and the
0: engineer that like introduced the cache like he gets promoted because like he, AKA solved the problem, but really he introduced another part into the system which increased the complexity. And so and now everybody else has to deal with it. Yeah, know. exactly. As you can tell it's a per-
1: from personal experience. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all in all, I mean, that, that was a bit of a long tangent, but I wanted to think of a case study of, you know, for for simple programmers like me and others like me to underline the fact that distributed system does not mean some cool, fancy stuff that you hear about only on, like, conferences, right? It can be the kind of features that somebody just comes and taps on your shoulder and says, hey, can you, like, just implement this real quick? And then all of a sudden that becomes a fancy distributed systems problem before you know it. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's part of the reason why I say like web developers are distributed programmers. (laughs) Many of us just don't know it yet. And so to follow on your point that it's it's in a lot of places that you may not expect, I think one of the things that I'm seeing is a proliferation of front-end frameworks. And a lot of JavaScript programmers can tell you that it's hard to keep up. And I think part of the reason is that there are so many is because we haven't really found a satisfactory answer in how to do app state management in a client server model. And in a client server model, there's a distributed system right there. And so initially what we did was we had the server do everything and it just sent a view to the client. And so it was a thin client model, right? But then we had some downsides of that. We didn't want the page to refresh on every action. And for certain types of applications, you just didn't want the user to have that kind of latency on every action. So then we figured out how to do the single page apps for that type of thing. And because one person made a lot of money doing it and it came from a big money people said oh this is the, the hot new thing that I need to learn to a be hireable and be to solve every problem under the sun then we kind of move to kind of a thick client thing model and when you have a thick client model you do end up having the problem of state on both the client and server side and then the problem is how do you sync the state between the server and the client And I think that's part of the reason why we have a proliferation of a lot of different front end frameworks, all trying to figure out an answer to this question. And so one start to answering this question was the Elm architecture in which they modeled the global, the application state, whether it was the UI state and the state from the database, all as a global, Model. And then what you would do is you have a reducer that keeps folding these events from the server into your current state. That has its plus sides and downsides. And so apparently it's not quite it. And so we're struggling with a lot of different things. And so one of the things I've seen is that Phoenix said, screw all this like thick client stuff. What we're going to do is we're going to go back to. S- clients and so we're going to have the server do more of this stuff but instead we'll have the client be able to update the page without refreshing and so it'll look like a quick like single page app with some latency of course but like that removes a whole bunch of complexity there because like all the state is on the server now right and then i think there's other ways to do this there are people that does like firebase in which they're like we just won't go through any layers we'll connect you directly to the database and have you look at your local state as if it was the database and uh lo and behold there are are the people that is in the burgeoning local first movement in which we covered in the was it second episode i think yeah in which we'll say oh we'll let you have your database on the client side and there will be some mechanism to sync with the server on the back end and so you can just treat your entire application state as if it was on the client side and You don't know any better. And so to finish it off, the way that you would sync the local and the server state in a local first software is through the use of CRDTs, which I think we covered a little bit in that, but basically it's a Mm -hmm. conflict-free resolution algorithm. And that is something that people have verified using TLA+. And so, wow. like, these sort of things are are not just for cool kids or cool people. Like, this is the, the very reason why you have a lot of these complexities in these client-server interactions is because we haven't found the right answer yet. And so people no. are just, like, trying to figure this out. And, and through all that thrashing... Everyday working JavaScript front end developers are like, which one should I choose so that I can have a steady job? That that's not the actual <laughs> answer. You should try to find one that that is answers like, how do we sync state between like two remote computers? I think that's the fundamental problem people were trying to figure out.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, and I think people have settled down a, a little. But there was a there was a time when people were just like jumping around frantically between all these different front end frameworks because well, they so held the, we, the promise. We've settled down in terms of how
0: to manage state with the the DOM state, because definitely I think you're yeah. referring to the fact that React came on the scene and seemed to have dominated. And so now most front end frameworks do some sort of like, like sh- like the, the shadow DOM or something like that uh, mm-hmm. to be able mm-hmm. to declare components as a pure function of state. And so we figured out how to manage state on the client side between the client application code and the underlying Browser state, but we haven't really figured out what to do on the other end of things where we're interacting with the server and database.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's 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 going to become important. And as people are are even going uh, further into Jamstack and serverless. Yeah, which, Jamstack, <laughs> our favorite. Where where serverless actually means you're adding even more servers. I, I was actually reading about how how do you do like cron jobs and like repeating schedules with the serverless. The architecture and it's the answer is you sign up for another service which sends you a webhook to remind you to run a job periodically like it, uh, it will call an endpoint every n hours every n days or whatever and so it's like oh this is another server this like you know you're like i've added another dependency a distributed yeah, I
0: mean, dependency at that right and so if anything yeah. <laughs> jamstack developers i mean if you have a whole bunch of serverless components that are talking to each other not, and not just to your application i mean this i mean people try to hide distributed stuff from you but it's a leaky thing we haven't found a great abstraction for everything so something's going to leak through
1: yeah definitely yeah so i mean i think if if anybody is using should be using tla plus i would say it's those jamstack and serverless folks because like you're like dealing with like 10 different servers all like running on different clouds and different <laughs> domains and and whatever like yeah i think that the, the the edge cases there are going to be significant uh,
0: yeah so so I, I think i think that's the same but i think kind of really back a little bit i don't expect uh everyone to use tla plus i think we just haven't found the right protocol or like whatever the right thing is because like once one person figures it out i think most of us will follow suit pretty quickly thereafter and so i don't think that there are going to be too many patterns of of distributed protocols between client and server that everybody needs to like specialize. But, but like so far none of us are doing it. So as long as like some people start, like maybe somebody will come up with something then, then like given that works pretty well for the use cases it was meant for, then the rest of us in that use case don't have to use TLA plus anymore. We just follow that model.
1: Mm. So you think it's going to become more like kind of don't, you know, what did they say? Like don't roll your own, crypto no i think it's
0: no i think it's going to be more like monads in which like before monads well before monads like haskellers were like we just can't do side effects and it's embarrassing but what can we Mm. do no i think it's going to be more like monads in which people figured out that this math construct has applications to dealing with side effects and then everybody using that like nobody has to re-derive monads anymore if like they have to learn what it is but once they figure out what it is they they can use it in their specific problems so I think it's probably going to be mm. more like that.
1: I see, I see. So it's like people are going to use formal verification to identify a pattern, uh, an architectural so. pattern, which then people are just going to use. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. so. Yeah, and so
0: by, like I said before, like none of us are doing that right now. We're just taking stabs in the dark. So by yeah. by, like our intuitive feel, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's fair enough. But yeah. So one other class of of use cases that comes to mind is, is security. And specifically I'm thinking about access control, uh, authorization and authentication, which is a really, really core piece of basically every single piece of software, right? Like if you're writing Mm. a web service today, you are going to have to have user accounts and then permissions and and all of those things baked in. And, and I think that's a, that's a interesting class of, 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 features to formally verify because that is another high risk and high reward subset of the software which it's really important to get right yeah and and it's really really easy to get wrong where people roll their own authorization code where where you you hear about like all these hacks right where people are able to somehow impersonate uh user accounts they're able to exploit some bug in like the two-factor reset thing and like do an account takeover, and then using that, they're able to get access to whatever money or do other bad things. And, and even if it's not just something blatant, like people being able to hack into accounts, I think it's really, really easy to you know, miss some some edge cases where, like let's say you have a very complex role-based permission system where you have some shared resource and some users are you know administrators of that resource, like let's say some cloud drive or something. So you have like administrators of that resource. then you have people who are writers to that resource, and then people who are only read-only members of that thing. And then I think it's very easy to to run into bugs where you know people are able to do things that they shouldn't be able to do because you know you forgot to handle the case of somebody used to be an admin, but then they got downgraded to some other lower class of access, but you forgot to revoke all the other permissions that they had. Like it's very easy as as the complexity of those kind of permission systems grow to have these sort of dangling permissions and things like that. And so I think formal verification beyond use of concurrency and race conditions and things like that, it can also be used to verify, you know, any any system right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, cuz it's it's I've tried to <laughs> like ask to control this are one of those things where if I've ever had to do anything with them, I know they're kind of complicated. So I just try to get away with doing as little as I can because otherwise yeah. they would explode in complexity. And then anytime I've tried to use a more generalized library or tool with it because there's so many like weird uses of it, it's, it's flexible, but not very easy for you to kind of get up and running. And so, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, I definitely can see something like that. It sounds good on paper. I wonder in practice, but I can't think of any real reason not to try it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I I am not I'm not too sure either. I, I think that when I was reading about TLA+, I I think that it definitely found a niche with the uh, sort of distributed systems yeah. folks, but it is a general purpose tool to verify invariants and properties of any kind of system, including the security invariants of a system, the, you know, correctness of various properties, I think, like, you know, some of the, the use cases, some of the fancy FANG use cases were in designing sort of hardware modules and things like that. So so it's not just the concurrency thing. Well, so then
0: do you think that you'd be able to get away with just using Prologue or some other, like, logic programming instead sort of TLA plus for for the access control list then?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that brings it, you know, me to another you know, train of thought that I was thinking, which is that I think if Leslie Lamport were here, he would say, <laughs> like, use whatever programming language you want. Like, TLA Plus is about the design of the system, right? Like, yeah. and you can, you know, presumably, it, going back to the sort of the, the three, three phases of building software, where once you've decided what you're going to build and then how that thing is going to work, then there's the translation into code. Well, you know, theoretically... You can take that nice TLA+ plus, uh, specification and translate it into anything, right? You can translate it into Prolog, you can translate it into Brainfuck, and presumably they those two should be, you know, equivalent, assuming they both model the same TLA+ plus, like uh, semantics. The, the the semantics of the system that you've designed. Uh-huh. But I think that there is a you know potential for loss there, right? Like I think that you know if you pick a if you pick a language that is well suited for the domain like like you mentioned maybe a logic programming language for access control lists i think you'll have a greater success in successfully implementing the design of your system into executable code compared to if you picked a very bad target language like c for example mm-hmm. which for like you're you yeah you're going to like introduce all kind of weird like memory leaks and things like that and so yeah i wonder if it's possible that you can actually merge merge the design and implementation phase back in a way similar to how people are increasingly doing like type systems, uh, optional typing and or like mm. progressively typing yeah. dynamic languages now, like how uh, Python now basically has a type checker, which is optional, oh, really, it but does. you can put okay. it in Yeah, it does, it does. Or, you know, I'm thinking about the way that people are embracing TypeScript now where y- you can use untyped JavaScript from TypeScript, but of course, if you want to start using the type system of typescript you can and it it affords you some correctness uh, guarantees Mm -hmm. and and things like that so i wonder is it possible to have some hinting like tla plus like hinting as you're writing the program so then it's not a separate entirely divorced phase but rather it's uh, something that can be verified along with the implementation of your program
0: calling jet brains i mean
1: maybe (laughs) huh
0: yeah that's that's an interesting thought because Right now, the only way that a lot of people are used to thinking through the problem is either by drawing boxes on a whiteboard and standing with their colleague, or just writing out the actual implementation of something. Is that true? I mean, I guess people talk about like doing test test driven development, and so presumably that's like writing the specs of something before, and so in mm-hmm. a, in a way, that's kind of like thinking about what you're going to build before you do it. And so writing test is a way to do that. And same thing with like writing out types. I found that Haskell programmers write out the types for their functions before they fill out the implementation. And that's a way yeah. to design their system or think about designing their system. But that's those are orthogonal concerns to like, is there a sequence of events that's going to make this go into a weird state that we don't want, weird or undesirable state, which is where mm-hmm. Kili plus Excel's at. So, Yeah. 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 So yeah, maybe a distributed access control list is exactly where TLA plus would shine. So <laughs> yeah, I I mean I keep going back to like spaceships and space, which is the ultimate distributed systems uh, sort of environment, I guess.
1: But yeah. 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 I I, I think I think there is definitely some potential to to bring TLA plus kind of closer to. Uh, where the programming where the programmers are and where the programming is actually happening
0: yeah that that's an interesting thought because a lot of times like ides already make it like they ides bring documentation to where you're programming and Mm -hmm. in some sense i wish that we could take that model from all sorts of things such as like bring production metrics into your ide so you can see parts of your code where it was fast or slow and so you get that yeah. view as you're programming and so same thing here where you're able to bring some sort of uh, formal verification for uh, twiddly bits <laughs> that need some yeah. some more tools at hand to to help you think through the problem that, that might be helpful yeah
1: yeah yeah it's also important to because you start out designing this program, and then over time the team members come and go and more yeah. more features get added and, and whatnot. And so a lot of the early design decisions, what are we building for? what are the properties yeah. of the system that we must maintain get yeah. forgotten or like they're written in some like old document that nobody <laughs> reads <laughs> nobody reads. and it's, it's it's basically all of this knowledge or all of this design is happening out of band away from the code base right and so that yeah. makes it really really easy to diverge and, and i think it's really interesting you know like you're saying can we bring it into the tooling can we bring it close closer at hand so that when you're working on something maybe you can quickly pop in and say okay what was the formal semantics of the system like let me make sure that i'm yeah. you know, respecting it, that or whatever.
0: so you mentioned that and one of the things is if you're going to add new features you can go back and refer to the spec and you know it it gives you some guarantees that you're not going to break the entire system with subtle bugs. If you're going to add a new thing, Uh, just like integration testing, like gives you some guarantees so you can actually sleep at night. And I guess the other thing that you hinted at here is that it's great for onboarding new members instead of having to like sift through the code base to figure out like what the hell is this protocol actually doing? You can refer to the spec, which is more high level and more condensed. And so it's easier to kind of get a bearing on like, what are the constraints? Like what is this thing not supposed to do, (laughs) which can be valuable? Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. I mean, I, I think we've covered a surprising amount of ground here, given like the two of us don't really use TLA plus. Like, unlike some of the other stuff where we've had like years of knowledge and deep, deep experience with it. Like here, I think it's it's something that we both kind of researched and had to kind of try out on our own. I'm surprised that we had so much to say about it, but I think that <laughs> TLA plus is a is the the use case of TLA plus is indicative of something that bites both of our asses all the time in day-to-day work in which like there's a certain complexity of problem that rears its ugly head because we don't have good tooling for a particular class of problems. And so I I think that's, that's where the resonance is coming from for, for both of us. Uh, What do you think? So, so like, do you think that, well, besides like getting tools, closer to where programmers are working like how else do you think we should like get there like because we've already established that tla plus is valuable in these particular types of problems and the problems that really gets our goat right um Mm -hmm. but like so how would we how would we make it more prolific like we've already talked about Mm -hmm. like if it was more prolific then maybe you would yeah yeah be able to apply it to those things
1: i mean i think i said this at the end of I think the unison episode or uh-huh. some other episode but you know how everybody started giving a damn about erlang after whatsapp got bought oh and yeah it was <laughs> like oh these like 10 dudes like built a billion dollar company and they were handling like half the world's <laughs> messages <laughs> just on this one box or whatever and uh, and then like everybody started caring about erlang and then like it had a little renaissance with people building Elixir on top right. of the Erlang runtime run and all of that. And I think I was saying, you know, how does Unison get popular? I was similarly, like some, there's got to be a breakout success where somebody used some company used Unison and then everybody's like, well, look, like they managed to build this incredibly complex system with half the the resources that we think. And I think similarly, I think with TLA Plus, there's got to be some amazing story like that where like somebody yeah. builds a unicorn. I I can see the headline now, right?
0: Like, oh, like, I don't know, the ZomboCom or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, it's a billion-dollar company because of formal methods, especially TLA+. And that's all they did, right? That was their core core offering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, the the TLA Plus testimonials are great for... I think folks like me who are working in a large corporation and I have to justify to my manager and my director or whatever, like, Hey, maybe we should use this for my team. But I think that there still need to be some stories and breakout successes at the, at the smaller end of the spectrum. um, Right. To preempt,
0: so to preempt them from growing to a size
1: of company where you, you then have to deal with it at a big company size. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. I don't know. I think somebody has to take a risk. Maybe some, some startup, very optimistic, uh, idealistic startup, has to take a risk of building their thing on on this technology and then also being successful in the market, right? Like, it's no good yeah. if they build all this and then they fail because then everybody will be like, well, look, they failed because they did all this math shit.
0: <laughs> and so I'm thinking <laughs> then, like, what sort of, like, programming, like, what sort of startup would that be? And I think only crypto jumps to mind right now because they're all about distributed systems.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see formal methods being used. I mean, definitely for the distributed system part, as yeah. well as the fact that you know, all, I don't know smart contracts have, have a huge possibility for exploitable bugs and things. And I, I remember there was like some bug in the, like the OpenSea NFT contract, and somebody like basically stole a bunch of NFTs and stuff. And so, yeah, I yeah, mean, I so
0: think... the 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 bugs that happen that you normally hear about, those are problem with the language design and like VM design. It's it's not mm-hmm. really it's less about the distributed system sort of stuff. I would say like that is for the people that are actually designing a new blockchain or like people that are that, that have to handle the inter mo- node communication between different miner or like the mining software. Yeah, that's probably I haven't seen it mentioned and maybe maybe it should well, be. Well,
1: actually there there are there's this one a company I forget its name eludes me but for a while they were basically like this Certifying body that everybody, all the big crypto projects would say, "Oh, we are certified by." I, I don't remember the name anymore. Consensus and, or something uh, yes, consensus. There. Yes, oh. uh, and and basically it meant that some they they hired these fancy folks to like look at their smart contract and make sure that it wasn't just like a flaming pile of garbage like design. Oh,
0: oh you mean uh, like? Yeah, the, no, no. There's a couple different companies that do like security audits for for smart contracts, but even then, like the the smart con- like the audits that they do there aren't they're not like distributed system problems they're usually like like the ethereum programming language solidity it was designed badly for the lack of a better word there's a lot of leaky abstractions where you can just shoot yourself in the foot like people say c++ is bad but like this there's so many foot guns in solidity i think also it's yeah. a different programming environment so that takes a little bit of getting used to as well but
1: uh, yeah but but those yeah, are yeah. distributed I, well well uh, I, I was going to say but you don't only, you, you know, going back to the point of you can use TLA plus for verifying the properties of of any program and it oh, and oh, even. Oh, uh, oh, I see.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I see what you're saying now because so one of the things is so for example in Solidity there are no linear types and so linear type is something where. I guess you can think of it like Rust borrow checker in which like you make sure that there's only one owner or like you can only use a variable once, that sort of thing. Those are linear types. And mm-hmm. so that is a result of some of the. So as a result, if you make a cryptocurrency on top of Solidity, you can very well have a double spend problem in your cryptocurrency built on top of ethereum written in solidity even though ethereum itself doesn't have a double spend problem it's because like mm-hmm. the programming language doesn't enforce any of this sort of stuff and so you could conceivably use tla plus to verify these invariants, such as a double spend problem when you're like designing the thing and then once you verify that it's correct then you you convert your design into solidity right now by hand because there's no other way to do it and so yeah i i hear what you're saying but yes and so but yeah, somebody really needs to come up with a better programming language there. For a while, Facebook's like cr- own cryptocurrency initiative, originally called Libra, I think they wanted to have a programming language called Move, which was based on linear types, which is this like non-copyable variable thing that you can only use once. Property. Oh, which, interesting. Yeah. So, so like they they had the right idea there, but I think their cryptocurrency um, initiative is not going anywhere right now because. I don't know government and other things. I guess so.
1: Yeah, I I was actually just like while we were talking about this, I just googled like formal verification of like the smart contracts and uh, the Tezos blockchain. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, those guys was using uh, using the cock language to oh, verify okay. some of their core smart contracts. And so yeah, uh, yeah, I mean it's not out. It's not too out there. I think that you know it, it, whether and you said that you know the problem with cock is that it's it's so you know intense, like maybe, maybe, some, maybe <laughs> yeah, TLA pluses can yeah. come in there.
0: Yeah. Right, uh, according to Simon Payton-Jones, I haven't used uh, cock either. I don't even know what it, what it looks like. I just kind of know what it is. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah definitely for some of these these cryptocurrency teams that, that are working on the core infrastructure, they they probably well know. Because I think um, Graydon Hoare, the inventor of Rust, he was working on, I want to say Stellar, which was a cryptocurrency project. Mm-hmm. And Phil Wadler, he was one of the core contributors to Haskell. He was also on a cryptocurrency project. Was it Cardano? I think so. Like (laughs) these, these cryptocurrency projects aren't just like hype and fluff. They they really have some like core people working on the underlying technologies using things like formal methods. Although I haven't heard any news about TLA plus used in these instances, but I, I wouldn't put it beyond
1: them. Yeah. So so I think like yeah, going back to the original question of like. Where are we going to likely to see a breakout success of formal methods? Yeah, I think I agree with you. Probably somewhere in the crypto space.
0: Yeah. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so anyways, so given all that, we've, like I said, we, we've covered more than I thought we would, and we've talked about more than I thought we would. How are you feeling about the, the whole thing?
1: I mean, I'm very intrigued, have spent the last like one and a half hours basically just convincing myself that I should write better software and use formal methods <laughs> and like I'm trying to think now like okay am I actually like going to do this like and 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 how and so I am definitely intrigued it seems like something that is close to home to to me and it also sounds like close to home to you as well
0: yeah like one of the reasons why I brought up the proliferation of front end frameworks is it's been something i've been thinking about and so like how do you get these client servers to talk to each other in a way where they agree on the state i'm sure there's literature out there already and so like if it already exists we should go use it if not like trying to like have your design verified with tla plus so you can be assured that your design is correct i mean that's that's not nothing so 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 yeah i I think in terms of where these there's there's some interaction that needs to happen at the boundaries between different computer systems. I, I think that's where it will be really prolific. But should I run into that? So with that, I, I don't have anything else to say. How about you? You're you're all good.
1: Well, actually, I do. I do have. Oh yeah, Edmund. yeah, yeah, yeah. My apologies to some guy Leslie Lamport. He <laughs> is. He was the winner of the 2013 Turing Award. <laughs> <laughs> So I definitely definitely undersold him and my deep sincere apologies to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, no worries. I mean, it's impossible to know everyone and everything like as much as like uh, as much as topics that we cover here. Like I would say you and I seem to have a uh, a breadth like there's no way for us to know everyone and everything. So no no worries. I'm, I'm sure he's not losing any sleep over it. So but yeah, all's yeah. good. So like for those of you that are listening and subscribing and please like comment subscribe leave good comments insightful comments for for us so that we don't spend all our time being sad and uh, we'll have more episodes with the edge of technology on the technium next week so hit us up with more drink suggestions also and so this is will this is shriek and signing off. And we will see you next week. See you later. Bye bye.